0: You're listening to the Sports Island Podcast with your host, Rick Mitchell. And now, the Sports Island Podcast. Hey everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the podcast. This is version 65 of the show. It is another solid episode for you this week. Got some good PGA Tour golf to recap. Got an NBA All-Star game to look at that went down this past weekend. Of course, we'll do a standings update in the NHL and a rankings update in college basketball. Plenty of drama going on there in men's college hoops. So we'll take a look at that. And then, of course, uh, a pretty loaded Around the Island segment as well for you. But we're going to start off in the PGA Tour. And this past weekend's tournament was the Genesis Invitational. And that was at the Riviera Country Club which was in Pacific Palisades, California, just outside Los Angeles. It was a par 71, distance was 7,322 yards. Uh, the field for this thing was absolutely loaded. Uh, the All of the top 10 golfers in the official world golf rankings were out there, um, including some other highly ranked golfers as well, <clears throat> and... uh this was a limited field of just 120 players. It's an Invitational, Genesis Invitational, so it was by invite only. Uh, the only other tournament this uh, calendar season on the PGA Tour to have a limited field was the Century Tournament of Champions, and that was only uh, a 40-person field. So this was the second smallest field on tour thus far. The course itself was just absolutely beautiful. That uh, was one of the best courses on tour. The greens were super fast. Uh, it was like putting on a parking lot. Uh, I don't know how these guys managed to navigate them the way they did. But uh, interesting fact about Riviera Country Club, uh, it was actually named the official tournament course for the 2028 Summer Olympics that are going to be held in Los Angeles. So uh, I learned that over the weekend as well, watching the broadcast. So pretty interesting note there. Um, The golf itself was exceptional. Uh, We had uh, some record-breaking rounds to start. Uh, In the end, your tournament winner was Joaquin Neiman. He got his second career PGA Tour victory. And this was actually on a string now of the last four events, going back to Torrey Pines when Luke List won, um, Pebble Beach when Tom Hoagie won. Both of those were their first career victories. Then last week at the Waste Management Phoenix Open, Scotty Scheffler won for his first career victory. So we had three first career victories in a row, the last three events coming into this one. Joaquin Neiman wins this, gets his second career victory on tour. So a lot of a lot of first-time, second-time winners here over the last month on the tour. This was actually the first wire-to-wire victory at Riviera since 1969. And Joaquin Neiman did so <clears throat> with... Opening two rounds of back to back 63s to start the tournament, which actually set, shattered, and set the new 36 hole record at Riviera. So he came out guns blazing, back to back 63s, uh, had a 68 in round three, which was uh, three under par, and then shot uh, an even par 71 on Sunday, which was good enough. To win at nineteen under par, which was one shot back of the uh, all-time low tournament score of twenty under par, <clears throat> so Neiman just missed that. But uh, he won at nineteen under par. It was pretty much his tournament to lose after the first two rounds. Uh, you know, he just had to go out and play par golf on Sunday, and that's 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 what that's exactly what he did. Uh, there was a two-way tie for second. Colin Morikawa and Cameron Young both shot 17 under par. Now, Cameron Young on Friday's second round, uh, he opened with a 66 on Thursday. Friday, he catapulted up top uh, right behind Neiman with a a 9 under 62. So Cameron Young came out swinging, uh, had a 69 on Saturday and a 70 on Sunday. So Cameron Young played some really good golf. Morikawa... Shot a pair of 67s to open, which was only uh, put him at 8-under through two rounds. Then had a 3-under 68 and really did some damage on Sunday. Morikawa did at 6-under 65. So uh, those two were at 17-under. Two-way tie for fourth at 14-under. That was Adam Scott and Victor Hovland. Uh, Hovland had shot an even par 71 to open and then went 64-65. 70 in his last three rounds so um, Hovland came out a little flat but got it together then uh, Justin Thomas was sixth at 13 under par last week's winner Scotty Scheffler was at 12 under par along with Maverick McNeely so uh, pretty good top half of the leaderboard there Rory McIlroy finished at 10 under par this was his first event in the United States since uh, the FedEx Cup playoffs last year He's been playing a lot in Dubai uh, and uh, overseas, so this was his first event uh, back in the U.S., and he played really well. But like I said, just a beautiful course, great tournament. Joaquin Neiman uh, really bust onto the scene, got his second career tour victory, uh, and he is in the field this week, which brings us to this week's tournament, which is the Honda Classic. It's at the PGA National Golf Course Champion Course, which... Uh, is in uh, Palm Beach Gardens, Florida. All right, so uh, the last month we've spent on the West Coast on tour, uh, three events in California, one in Arizona. We're moving all the way over to the East Coast in Florida. This is the first of four consecutive events in Florida. <clears throat> um, the Players' Championship is also coming up. But uh, the PGA National course here, like I said, it's a par 70, Uh, distance 7125 yards and the course itself is known for being one of the tougher courses on tour Uh, not only is it a par 70 which should help keep the scores uh, reasonable instead of the almost 20 under plus par we've been seeing uh, over the last month Uh, that should keep the scores uh, closer to 10 to 12 under par but um Holes 15 through 17 here at uh, PGA National, it's called Bear Trap. There's an absolute ton of water, a lot of sand, and uh, over the last season, the Bear Trap played 230 over par. And uh, since 2007, there have been over 1,600 golf balls to land in the water uh, in the the three-hole stretch there in the Bear Trap. So extremely tough stretch of field. Uh, of, of course, I mean, tough stretch, of course, you know, with the players um, uh, basically having limited fairways, right? Um, and so uh, lots of water. Uh, but the field itself uh, of players is nothing special. We got 12 out of the top 50 golfers in the world that are going to be out there, so nothing special. Some some bigger names are Brooks Kepka, Daniel Berger, Louis Tazen, and, of course, last week's winner, Joaquin Neiman. Last year's winner was Matt Jones. Uh, He'll be in the field. His winning score last year was 12 under par. And I said, with it being a par 70 course, I would expect that the winning score uh, would be somewhere around there, Um, despite the just otherworldly scores we've seen uh, the past month, really to start the season. It seems like even going back to those two Hawaii tournaments when we had Scores around 30 under par. You know, I mean, just these guys are scoring so low. The golf is so elite. But uh, with a par 70, it's going to make it tough to really go super low. So uh, I'll be tuned into the PGA National uh, Honda Classic this week at the PGA National. Uh, Like I said, average field, but it is worthwhile. Uh, If you're a golf fan, uh, it is worth tuning in for. So we'll uh, have a recap on that next week. But we'll move on to the National Hockey League and do a standings update here in the NHL. Most teams have played around 50 to 52 games or so. We have officially gotten through that two-week window that was originally slated for the Olympics in which the NHL made up 95 of the 98 postponed games. So we are officially back on track in the NHL season. And uh, trade deadline is quickly approaching here in a couple of weeks uh, got a couple of trades to talk about and around the island, but uh, in the Eastern Conference, the Metropolitan Division. Now, keep in mind these are the wild card standings. So it's the top three teams in each division, plus the top two wild cards that are in, and then the, we'll talk about the uh, teams that can contend for a wild card spot. But in the Eastern Conference, the Metropolitan Division, Carolina Hurricanes are up top there. They have seventy four points and they are four points in front of the Pittsburgh Penguins. Uh, Carolina has actually won three games in a row, uh, still continues to be uh, one of the elite teams in the league. Pittsburgh, like I said, they're up to 70 points. They're four points back of Carolina. Carolina actually has two games in hand. Then third place in the Metro is the New York Rangers with 69 points, so they're just one point back of Pittsburgh. Uh, They're still looking really solid in the Atlantic division. The Florida Panthers are up top with 75 points. Uh, They've won seven out of their last 10. Uh, They've been one of the most consistent teams all season. They are three points in front of the Tampa Bay Lightning, who are second in the Atlantic with 72 points. Uh, Tampa Bay has won three in a row, uh, won seven out of their last 10 as well. Uh, They will be in the playoffs, and they will be a very tough out. Third place in the Atlantics, the Toronto Maple Leafs with 68 points. They're four points back of Tampa and uh, seven points back of Florida. Now, uh, Toronto has kind of been in that third spot for uh, the last several weeks. I would expect them to continue to stay there, um, given the fact that they have as much firepower as they do. Uh, over in the wild card standings, though, the wild card for the Eastern Conference, the first wild card at the moment is the Washington Capitals with 65 points and then the Boston Bruins are in the other wild card spot with 62 points, okay? Both of those teams are on two-game winning streaks. Now the uh there's really only three teams in the Eastern Conference that can compete with Washington and Boston for those two wild card spots, and that would be the Columbus Blue Jackets. They have 53 points. So they are uh, nine points back of Boston for that second wild card spot, and then the Detroit Red Wings have 52 points, so they're 10 points back of Boston. Um, just you know, young team. They they've done good to to get the record that they have so far this year. The Red Wings, and then the only other team that I think really may have a chance, and that's because they've played uh, the fewest games in the NHL up to this point with 46 games. Is the New York Islanders? They have forty-five points, okay, which you know is quite a few back of Boston, about seventeen points back of Boston. But uh, they also have four games in hand on the Bruins and uh, six games in hand on the Capitals, who are in that first wild card spot. So they have some time to make up some room. I, I do not believe them to be a playoff team over uh, Washington or Boston or potentially even Columbus, but. Uh, The Eastern Conference is looking more and more set each week. Uh, Such is not the case over in the Western Conference. The Central Division, the Colorado Avalanche, are first in the Central Division. They're actually first in the entire league with 78 points. Okay, they're uh, three points in in front of the Florida Panthers and four points in front of the Carolina Hurricanes for the uh, President's Cup. And they are... Uh, 12 points clear of any team in the Western Conference. So the Avalanche are by far and away the best team in the league. Um, They've only lost 10 games. Just insane. Uh, St. Louis Blues are second in the Central with 66 points. Minnesota Wild are third in the Central with 65 points. Central is probably the best division in hockey. Uh, We'll get more on that here in just a second. Over in the Pacific Division... The Calgary Flames, uh, they are first in the Pacific with 66 points. They are on a 10-game winning streak. Um, Elias Lindholm uh, has eight games in a row in which he scored a goal, which is the second longest streak of goals scored in in winning games in history behind Mario Lemieux, who did that 11 straight games during a winning streak. So Lindholm keeps scoring. Flames are on a 10-game winning streak. And they're up to 66 points. They're four points clear of the Vegas Golden Knights, who are second in the Pacific with 62 points. Uh, And they just got Jack Eichel back, Um, basically substituted him for Mark Stone. And they're about to get Alec Martinez back too, I believe, and Robin Leonard. So watch for Vegas to make a a push here late in the season. And then the third-place team in the Pacific currently is the Los Angeles Kings. With 61 points, so one point back of Vegas, five points back of Calgary at the moment. The Kings are on a three-game winning streak of their own. Now, uh, the wild card in the Western Conference, right now, the first team in the wild cards, the Nashville Predators, with 62 points. Second wild card spot belongs to the Edmonton Oilers with 59 points. Now, the teams, there's a, a lot more teams in the West that are still competing for a wild card spot. The first one that's technically out of the wild cards, the Anaheim Ducks. Now, they also have 59 points, uh, but Edmonton has two games in hand and more wins. So that's the tiebreak there. So the Ducks have 59 points. My Dallas Stars have 58 points. Uh, They're just right there as well. Uh, They've won six out of their last ten. And uh, they lost this last weekend to the Arizona Coyotes, who happen to be the very worst team in the Western Conference. So, uh, again, just bipolar stars. uh, And then they go and beat the Winnipeg Jets the next night, uh, or the next game. So the Stars have 58 points. Vancouver Canucks have 54 points, all right? Winnipeg Jets have 53 points. And the last team in the Western Conference that really legitimately has a chance is the San Jose Sharks. They have 50 points, okay? Uh, Those your two wild card teams will be out of that group of teams. You know, the Central Division is just brutal. Uh it's, you know, with Colorado, St. Louis, Minnesota, Nashville and Dallas beating up on each other. Uh anything's going to go in that division. Um I think you can pencil in Calgary and Vegas in the Pacific. But yeah, the Western Conference is really going to is going to be fun to watch here over these next uh a month and a half or so but uh, main thing out of the NHL this past week is we're back on track to finish um, after making up 95 of those 98 postponed games so uh, we'll continue to get you caught up on all the NHL news as we uh, steam forward towards the NHL playoffs but we'll move over to the NBA and uh, we're not going to do a standings update because we had uh, the all-star game this past weekend which we'll recap here in just a second. Um, the All Star game was in Cleveland, Ohio, of course, where LeBron James is from. And he was a captain of one of these two teams here. Uh, Saturday night, the skills competition, uh, three point competition, uh, Carl Anthony Towns, the Minnesota Timberwolves, uh, was your winner. And interestingly enough, he was actually um, the high. he had the highest odds to win coming into the competition. So, he was the biggest underdog in the competition um, by odds, and he ended up winning, so pretty cool there. And then the, the slam dunk competition uh, was rather uneventful this year. A uh, lot of missed dunks, probably more than I've seen in any other uh, dunk competition, but uh, New York Knicks forward Obi Toppin was your winner of the slam dunk contest, which is no surprise because that's what he was known for coming out of Dayton couple years ago, but the game itself, all- star game featured Team Durant versus Team LeBron. We talked about the rosters on last week's episode. Um, I told you that uh, Team LeBron was way better than Team Durant, at least on paper. The game turned out to be pretty close. Um, the new this was the fifth year of the new format, basically where they pay out money to the team that wins each of the four quarters. And then the team that wins the overall game as well gets money. But this was very similar to the Pro Bowl. Uh, absolutely zero defense. It was kind of a free-for-all. You're shooting half-court, three-pointers, alley-oops, uh, spin moves. Defense, you know, was just kind of standing there. Uh, you know, just, like I said, it was kind of a – it was it was – uh, probably a little better than the Pro Bowl, a little more entertaining than the Pro Bowl, just for the simple fact that they at least tried while they were on offense, for the most part. But uh, there were 121 three-pointers attempted between both teams, which is absurd. And 48 of them were made. So that's 39.6% of the three-pointers attempted were, were made, which is, which is probably about average for a game. Um, But 121 attempted three-pointers certainly is not average. Um, The the final score, well, we'll get into that in a second. Uh, The cool other note about this game is the halftime ceremony. This is the 75th year of, of the NBA, and they recognize the top 75 players of all time up to this point. They announced them by position groups at halftime, and the ones that were able to attend the ceremony walked out onto the, the center court stage that they had. And there were a lot that, that made it. Obviously, you've had some that have passed away that weren't able to make it uh, or others that just weren't able to for various reasons. Um, uh, but the uh, – so that was pretty cool. That was pretty entertaining. Good, Good to see that. There were a lot of, you know – Obviously, any great that you can think of in, in previous NBA years was named to this team. Uh, and then you had some current players as well, like LeBron James, Giannis Antetokounmpo, Steph Curry, guys that were playing in this game uh, came back out for the halftime deal. But uh, Team LeBron, he LeBron James has been the captain of an all-star team for five years in a row since they moved to this new format. And he's won all five times because he won again this year uh, Team LeBron beat Team Durant 163 to 160. Made Team LeBron five and zero in the new All Star game format. And um, Steph Curry was your MVP of the All Star game with 50 points. He had 16 three pointers, 16 of 27 from beyond the arc for Steph Curry. Just insane. He was making them from half court. Um, it was it was quite ridiculous actually. Um, very impressive. Uh, Some other guys on Team LeBron, top scorers, you had Steph Curry with 50. Giannis had 30 points, 12 rebounds. LeBron James had 24 points. And then on Team Durant, leading scorer was Joel Embiid with 36 points, 10 rebounds. Uh, Devin Booker had 20 points. Lonzo Ball actually had 18 points. And then DeJounte Murray of the Spurs, he had 17 points. So uh, pretty yeah, like I said, it was a, it was a good game. You know, it was a little better than the Pro Bowl, I would say, but um, you know, that's the problem with mid-season all-star games like the NHL. NHL's all-star game was pretty competitive, fun to watch, fast-paced, uh, lots of scoring. That's what you want to see. So, um, you know, it, the NBA and the NHL kind of they, they've been doing it right. Uh, at least there was a little bit of effort put forth uh, unlike the Pro Bowl. So, uh, but we'll get you like i said we're there's no standings update this week because the all star game they're just resuming games uh at the tail end of this week, so we'll catch you back up on an n b a standings update on next week's episode, but we'll move over to the NCAA and do a men's college basketball top twenty five rankings update. It's been another good week in college basketball uh, lots to get into. We'll start off um The rankings, we're going to go from 25 down to 1. The 25th ranked team in the country right now is Iowa. Uh, Number 24 is Alabama. 23 is St. Mary's. They've jumped into that top 25. Uh, 22 is Ohio State. Number 21 is UConn. And they just beat Villanova on uh, Tuesday night by scoring six points in the final 21 seconds of the game uh, to beat Villanova, who is ranked number eight. We'll get there in a minute. But big win for UConn there. Number 20 is Texas. Uh, They just lost at home to Texas Tech earlier this week, or or late last week, over the weekend, I think. So uh, they'll win a big game, then lose a big game, win a big game, lose a big game, Uh, very similar to uh, Alabama and how they've – Done their season. Number nineteen is Murray State. Uh, they've picked up a couple more wins. They're uh, only they're twenty six and two, only two losses thus far this year. Number eighteen is Arkansas. Number 17 is Tennessee. A lot of SEC teams coming at you. Uh, number sixteen is USC. Uh, number fifteen is Illinois. Number fourteen is Houston. Number 13 is Wisconsin. Now, uh, they played Michigan on Sunday this past week. They won 77-63, so a 14-point victory. Wisconsin head coach Greg Gard, uh, he called a timeout with four seconds left in the game, which apparently pissed off Michigan head coach Jawan Howard. Uh, In the handshake line after the game, the two of them exchanged words. You can kind of see Gard kind of put his hand on uh, Howard's chest area. Howard, you know, kind of pushed him. Uh, and then a brawl ensued, basically. Players and coaches started uh, causing a brawl. Uh, one of the Wisconsin assistant coaches kind of reached reached himself over the pile, and Howard kind of slapped at his face a little bit, open hand, kind of grabbed at his face, almost looked like a punch. Um, they punt- handed down punishments for that stuff. Jawan Howard got a five-game suspension, which is the rest of the regular season. So he will not coach again until the Big Ten tournament. And then was also fined $40,000 for that. Uh, Greg Gard was fined $10,000 only. It was not suspended. So pretty heated uh, sequence of events there in that Big Ten matchup. But nonetheless, Wisconsin is 13. UCLA is number 12. Number 11, the Providence Friars. They uh, are still a legitimate team. Uh, Number 10 is Baylor. Uh, number 9 Texas Tech a lot of big 12 teams here uh, as well uh, Baylor's 10 Texas Tech is 9 a couple of big wins this past week they beat Oklahoma on uh, Tuesday night and then beat Texas in Austin over the weekend number 8 is Villanova like I said they uh, just lost a heartbreaker to UConn so they'll, they'll probably uh, stay close to around here in next week's rankings number 7 is Duke uh, number 6 is Kentucky number five is Kansas, number four is Purdue, number three is Auburn, number two is Arizona, and they escaped with a win against Oregon the other night, which was their 17th straight home victory. Uh, So impressive stuff there going on in Tucson. And then the number one ranked team in the country is Gonzaga, and that is unanimous in this version of the AP poll, which was released uh, on February 21st. So these rankings are the most current at this point. They come out every Monday. Now, a couple of notable things. Michigan State uh, dropped out of the top 25 after a couple of bad losses this weekend. Uh, They still had uh, the highest amount of votes to get into the top 25 poll. Uh, And then Rutgers is right behind them. Now, Rutgers is not ranked, uh, but they play in the Big Ten, and they've beaten five ranked Big Ten teams. Uh, they, now, these teams were ranked at the time that they played them. Purdue, Michigan State, Ohio State, Wisconsin, and Illinois. And Rutgers has beaten every single one of those teams. So, pretty impressive resume for an unranked team. I, I would fully expect Rutgers to get into the tournament. And uh, moving forward, the next couple of um, episodes, we'll get into some bracketology here. Uh, look at uh, you know the first four in. Last uh, first four in, or first last four in, first four out. How you know how they do that stuff? The bracketology. We'll look at that just to make sure uh, we're staying on top of of who's in and who's out because that that stuff changes pretty much every day. So we'll get a closer look as we uh, get a little little bit closer to March Madness. But we'll move on to our segment called Around the Island. That's where we do some quick news topics from across the various sports. Uh, it's not as loaded. Uh, of a Around the Island segment as we normally have, but there is still some important information that uh, has come out. Uh, We'll start off in the National Football League, and this past week, uh, well, over the last several episodes, we've talked about all the head coaching vacancies that have been filled, but this past week there was a big uh, assistant coaching vacancy that was filled, and that comes uh, from the Pittsburgh Steelers. They hired former Miami Dolphins head coach Brian Flores as their senior defensive assistant coach, as well as their linebackers coach. And this is very interesting. Um, Brian Flores, as you know or may not know, he has an active lawsuit filed against the NFL for the uh, racial inequality of minority head coaching hires. And that, that lawsuit is still very active, and um, you know it's not going away anytime soon. So uh he's still a part of that um but he is a good coach so uh you're in a tough spot if you're Pittsburgh he's a great coach and he's going to be paired with Mike Tomlin uh they could do some serious damage together for sure especially on the defensive side of the football which is where the Steelers kind of uh, fell off a little bit uh this past year even though they had T.J. Watt the defense wasn't uh elite like it is used to being now on the offensive side, they have their own issues. Obviously, who's going to be their quarterback? But uh, the, the coaching hire of, of Brian Flores to Pittsburgh amidst his lawsuit is uh, very intriguing. Uh, and the other piece of NFL news uh, is about the NFL draft scouting combine, which is scheduled to take place from March 1st to March 7th. So next week, the NFL combine takes place. That's held at Lucas Oil Stadium in Indianapolis, um, about 350, 400 uh, college Prospects will be in attendance. They're working out. Now, the NFL came out and said that they're going to or were going to implement uh, COVID protocols at the Combine, basically make it to where they had no access to any uh, any exterior uh, people or uh, events or venues that were not part of the Combine itself, basically making it a bubble. So once they came out and said that, um, over 150 Combine Invitees, so over 150 recruits that are attending the combine came out uh, through their agents and basically said that they were going to boycott the combine due to the bubble. And since that threat was issued, uh, the NFL has since recanted their uh, bubble idea and it is going to be run as a normal NFL combine with no limitations for the players. So they will be allowed outside of any of the restricted areas, which I, you know, I'm over this COVID stuff. Uh, it's not going away. It's here to stay. Masks don't work. Uh, it is what it is. So um, let's just continue on with our life. Uh, you know, sc- the NFL scouting combine needs to be, uh, it's a huge part of the draft and, and these recruits getting drafted. So uh, that needs to uh, continue as is. Now I'm a huge, huge fan of the uh, scouting combine. I'll be tuned into that. Uh, any any of the three or four days that I can, I guess it's actually six days, but um, you know the main position groups: quarterback, running back, wide receiver, and the defense is really stacked this year in the draft, so I'll be watching that as well. Uh, but over in the National Hockey League, we had a couple of trades gone down. Now the NFL or the NHL's trade deadline is um, coming up in March. And so we're, we're approaching that. So as we get closer to that, we'll, we'll start to see more trades here in the NHL. But the Arizona Coyotes and the Toronto Maple Leafs. Um, interesting sequence here. The Arizona Coyotes traded Ryan Dezingle and Ilya Lubushkin to the Toronto Maple Leafs in exchange for Nick Ritchie and a conditional draft pick. Two days after that trade went down, the Maple Leafs placed Ryan Dezingle on Waivers and the San Jose Sharks cleared De Zingle off a waiver, claimed him off of waivers. So what that means is basically the Coyotes uh, traded De Zingle to the Maple Leafs. Maple Leafs immediately released De Zingle and Dzingel got signed by the Sharks. So kind of a weird sequence there. Uh, he actually played in a game for the Sharks the other night. Dzingel did, uh, and if that wasn't strange enough. These two teams, a couple days later, made an, a, a trade between the same two teams. Coyotes and the Maple Leafs got on the phone again and said, hey, you know what, that first trade was pretty bad, let's do another one. Yeah, the Coyotes traded goalie Carter Hutton to the Maple Leafs in exchange for future considerations. Okay, So that could be draft picks or whatever. And then Toronto, upon receiving Hutton, his contract, the goalie, they loaned him to the uh, Coyotes' AHL team, the Tucson Roadrunners, because they needed a second goalie. So he pro- he's technically a uh, minor league Toronto Maple Leafs player, but he's getting loaned to uh, the AHL's Tucson Roadrunners. So he's staying in Arizona at the moment. So very odd sequence that these two teams made two separate trades just a couple days apart. Um, very, very weird. But over in Major League Baseball, Okay, we're still hot and heavy in the lockout, and uh, pitchers and catchers should have reported last week. Uh, the N- MLB and MLBPA, they've they've had several collective bargaining agreement sessions uh, this week. They want to get a deal done as quickly as possible. Uh, both of the, uh, as of this recording, this has been being recorded midweek, uh, The MLB and the MLBPA have met twice this week so far, both over five hours in length. And it was reported that one of the sessions was uh, a step backwards, a wrong direction. So uh, that's not good news because the uh, MLB has informed the MLBPA that the new collective bargaining agreement must be agreed upon by February 28th in order to start the regular season on time. The regular season is supposed to start on March 31st, and they still have to get spring training. in. So, uh, But the MLB has also come out and said that they have officially postponed the start of spring training until no earlier than March 5th. So technically, they still would have about two and a half weeks of spring training before the season would start if they wanted to start on time. But the new CBA must be agreed upon by February 28th, which is quickly approaching. Now, MLBPA, in response to Major League Baseball's statement about spring training getting postponed being a must, uh, MLBPA said that that claim is false and that that they do not have to delay the start of spring training. But then again, they're so far apart in their agreement that there's really no choice uh, because it's not like they can start spring training right now without an agreement in place. So the whole thing just seems like a complete mess, just a disaster going on right now in Major League Baseball. Not sure when we're going to see baseball. Uh, It does not sound like it's going to happen anytime soon, which is a bummer because I want it to. I think we all, any baseball fan wants it to, but it's not going in that direction. Uh, But over in the NBA, since we didn't do a standings update, I didn't get to rattle off some uh, injury news and whatnot. Uh, In the Western Conference, the Phoenix Suns, their guard, Chris Paul, he suffered a right thumb avulsion fracture this past week, and he's going to be out for six to eight weeks. Uh, that's big. Uh, obviously, Chris Paul's a huge part of the Suns' offense, playing alongside Devin Booker. Uh, Suns are clearly the best team in the Western Conference, right up there with Golden State. Those two are 1A and 1B. Uh, this, this might allow the Warriors to pass the Suns in the standings, but uh, we'll have to see on that. Either way, he should be back. Uh, for at least this, he should be back around playoff time. Uh, might have to miss some playoffs depending on how it heals, but we'll see. Uh, over in Los Angeles, the Lakers, uh, Anthony Davis suffered a midfoot sprain this past week. He's going to be out for four weeks. This dude just can't stay healthy. Uh, just, he's been a complete, outside of the one year when they won the championship uh, two seasons ago, this dude's been a complete flop. In Los Angeles, Um, he spends more time in street clothes uh, than he does the uniform. And I think Charles Barkley, the analyst for uh, TNT, actually nicknamed him Street Clothes because he spends more time in street clothes than he does his uniform, which I think is hilarious. Uh, Over in the Eastern Conference, though, the Brooklyn Nets. uh, They've signed guard Goran Dragic to a deal for the rest of the season. Uh, Contract's only good through the end of this year, and in order to clear a roster spot for him, they waived Javon Carter. So good deal for for Drogic and the Nets. It's kind of a, a depth deal. Um, the Nets obviously uh, were part of that massive trade that went down, still waiting for Ben Simmons to uh, uh, get completely ready to go, but uh, it's looking like he's he's going to be out there sooner rather than later. Uh, but over in college football, we've got some transfer portal news. Uh, Another big addition to the transfer portal, kind of late in this process, Arizona State quarterback Jaden Daniels has entered the transfer portal. Uh, He's a big add to the portal. Um, He's pretty good success his first three years at uh, Arizona State. He's been the starter since he was a freshman. Um, There was a video posted on social media of his teammates clearing out his locker and talking trash about him and everything um, because he said he was staying at Arizona State, but uh, his senior year, he is opting to transfer somewhere else. But very interesting news there. He's he's a good dynamic athlete, very very elusive runner. So he'll be a big get for whoever uh, he ends up signing with. And then the biggest piece of college football news was the announcement that the college football playoff system is going to stay at four teams for the remainder of the current contract, which r- uh, runs through the year twenty twenty five. So we have at least four more years of a four-team playoff, which, uh, we, you know, there's been a lot of talk recently about playoff expansion, and I think the playoffs need to expand to at least eight teams, potentially more. Uh, this past year, it was so refreshing to see some newer teams in there, uh, you know, with Michigan and Cincinnati, uh, and not just your... Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State—you know that had gotten kind of stale, which is why I think we need a bigger playoff system. I think uh, football is such that uh, an upset can happen, especially in college football, uh, and the uh, playoff system would uh, really go uh, would do itself a lot of justice to expand. But uh, over in the PGA Tour, uh, quick note here. Two-time major champion, uh, Zach Johnson, he is going to be taking over as the new U.S. Ryder Cup captain. He was elected uh, that uh, after having been an assistant captain each of the past two Ryder Cups, including the one this past fall when U.S. absolutely demolished Europe. Uh, His first Ryder Cup as the head captain will be in 2023, which that Ryder Cup is scheduled to take place in Marco Simone, Italy. And uh, The U.S. has not won a Ryder Cup on European soil in 30 years, so that's a tall order for Zach Johnson, but he's got an incredible selection of good, young U.S. golfers to choose from, so that'll be uh, worth watching there to see if Johnson can get the U.S. back in the win column on European soil. Now, the final thing I wanted to cover, we haven't mentioned it at all in any of the episodes previous to this, but the uh, the Winter Olympics that were in Beijing um, just concluded. Okay, a lot of good events. Uh, I'm sure uh, you, you probably tuned in at some point during the, the, the Olympics and saw a couple of events. Uh, it was pretty much a nightly uh, nightly spectacle in my house. But the final medal count, I just kind of wanted to go over this real quick. Um, Norway, they finished the Beijing Olympics with the most medals, which uh, in the process of, of – they had 37 total medals, which actually set a record for the most gold medals won in a single, single Winter Olympic game, was 16. So Norway had 16 golds, 8 silvers, 13 bronze for a total of 37 medals. So that 16 gold medals was a record for the most won in a single Winter Olympics. Okay, Russian Olympic Committee, they had 32 medals: six gold, 12 silver, 14 bronze. Uh, five points back of Russia, or five medals back of Russia was uh, Germany with uh, 27 medals, 12 gold, 10 silver, five bronze. Canada was fourth in total medals with 26, just one back of Germany, only four gold for Canada, eight silver and 14 bronze. And then the U uh, United States was fifth in total medals with twenty five, which is one back of Canada, two back of Germany, uh, eight back of uh, Russia, and twelve back of Norway. So uh, the U S had eight gold, five, uh, ten silver rather, and seven bronze. So eight, ten, and seven uh pretty good for the US considering a lot of our our high profile athletes uh competed uh, at least you know Sean White it was good to see him kind of uh have his last run uh, he he finished fourth just shy of a medal but um you know Nathan Chen, Chloe Kim uh US athletes that were expected to win gold medals did so that was good to see and then we had some surprise medals as well so all in all, the Beijing Olympics was good. Uh, I think we did have a few underwhelming events, the United States did. But uh, overall, I was, I was happy with, with how it turned out. But uh, that's going to wrap up this episode of the Sports Island podcast. So uh, good week. College basketball is coming to a close here. The regular season, we'll have some conference tournaments to look at here shortly. Uh, NHL, uh, NBA will do some standings updates next week and um, certainly plenty of news coming in now that we're in the NFL's offseason and uh, Major League Baseball with their meetings. I'm sure we'll have quite a bit to talk about on next week's episode. Thanks for listening to the Sports Island Podcast. Be sure and find it on Facebook at Sports Island Podcast. I'm Rick Mitchell, and I'll catch you next time right here on the Sports Island Podcast, which is available everywhere you listen to podcasts.